Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to uh, the first episode of Talking Blues podcast. Uh, this is a podcast where me and my co-host Aaron we talk about uh, history and music primarily, but uh, also a little bit about current events and politics and things like that. Um, yeah, this first episode we're kicking it off with Bob Marley talking about his radical legacy. Um, how he's portrayed in the media, a little bit about Rastafarianism as well. Um, yeah, a couple of technical difficulties in this episode, but that's the way it goes for episode one. So, yeah, uh, enjoy. Yeah, I don't have a name yet for this, but uh, I liked what your suggestion was. The Was it the, the weekly, weekly scoop, scoop or something? Kind of yeah. Funny, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, I'll just like go for this intro real quick um so thanks for uh tuning in everybody um today we have a amazing guest he goes by the name of aaron last name you want your last name out there uh sure let's do it wilford, wilford. yeah <laughs> um aaron is a dear friend he's a student at university of british columbia he's a graduate student there uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit real quick for the people. Sure. I'm a friend of Scott's. I uh, did my undergrad with him at UBC, and then I stayed there to do my <laughs> master's, um, studying West African history, uh, specifically repatriation, um, immigration from the Americas back to West Africa, uh, transnational identities, how people kind of shared and created their own African identities. So hopefully that'll go well with uh, Bob Marley today. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, just like it's funny because how we met was like, well, we met a bunch of times on campus and stuff. Yeah. But I remember like I, how we got closer was you used to work across the street from the house yeah. I was living at. And you worked in like this grocery store named Fresh Fresh Fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, you would always like I'd go in there to get stuff and you're always like reading books at the cash register and stuff. And like one time I just like was like, oh, that book looks cool. It was like an old looking cover and stuff. And um, it was uh, it was the France Fanon towards right. the African Revolution. Right, right. Somewhere right there. Yeah. And then um, you were just like, oh, yeah, like uh, if you want to read this, you know, when I'm done, you can. And then you gave it to me and it kind of like like i was like oh wow this is like amazing yeah. it, like blew my mind this thing is life-changing yeah, right there it looks yeah. like really cool it's like yeah it's like a, you have like all these old vintage books of, right yeah yeah so that was you know how i kind of started to like learn a little bit more about just like um just like post-colonialism you know like uh pan-africanism uh things like that um and just like revolutionary thought too because then I kind of went and like did my own research about mm. things like also from like the Filipino perspective and stuff mm. so I was like oh this is really cool and then right away you gave me like two more books and I was like oh this is this is dope yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you gave me like Kwame Nkrumah and another something else but um yeah and then we just kind of started bonding and then started yeah. bonding about music too and we found out we both love Bob Marley yeah. so then that's what we decided to talk about today yeah <laughs> um yeah so let's see um i guess we can start with like how did you first just you know get into 
listening to him like who kind of put you onto his music and everything yeah uh, my sister was always a big fan um she's still probably the biggest fan i know but um it was when i watched a documentary when i was 18 yeah and so you know obviously everyone knows bob marley you know growing up but watching the documentary i'm like oh this guy has substance you know before i even kind of knew a lot of his songs um and it's so easy to like mistake him for the kind of popular image whether that be his face in red, green, yellow on a t-shirt, right? With some smoke yeah. on it. But mm-hmm. uh, watching that documentary, I'm like, oh, I should, I should check this guy out. And um, when I heard it, oh, life-changing. It was also probably uh, being slightly old enough to appreciate a lot of what was going on. Uh, the music-wise, just hearing a band that's more than five people, right? Growing up as a kid, like on pop punk or just like rock, it's just like, you know, the four or five instruments. Hearing a band that has like, multiple percussion yeah has horns in the background right has like three like, singers three back yeah singers, exactly yeah. i was like whoa it's like almost like its own orchestra um and then from there on i started digging deeper and you're frozen oh wait okay there you go um yeah you're back you know, yeah. yeah um yeah so like like you said there's like a lot of um you know documentaries about bob marley and like you know things that about his life you know his love life like i just watched the documentary and it was like a big portion was about how like all his you know he has like different women in his life and stuff but um yeah you know right. like there's also a lot like what you mentioned just a lot um kind of deeper history and revolutionary like how revolutionary his lyrics are and just him as a person is that um doesn't really get touched upon so like ha- have you seen like your like appreciation for him kind of change as you like compared to when you first kind of got into him but without Definitely. going too you know um ahead of ourselves yeah right right yeah i think for me it was um seeing his like dedication to the music um that was kind of aspiring in a different way than just being a uh so like his kind of like lifelong call to action is the way i describe it uh i saw an interview where someone's like you know, he was a, he was a really serious guy. He took his music seriously. You know, he's a, the kind of band leaders we think of like Miles Davis or other band leaders where they're, they're on time, they're practicing and when they're practicing is serious. Um, not, and just to see that, that kind of dedication was for this bigger goal, I think was a really kind of inspiring uh, aspect because it doesn't have to be music. It's just mastering your craft uh, for this bigger purpose. So that's something that definitely grew, grew on me as I started to listen to him more yeah definitely were you already kind of like a fan of reggae music before you got into him or was he like your first like uh the avenue into reggae i would say he's the first um heard reggae growing up but never really connected with it this though i was like whoa you know yeah <laughs> to my third eye this one <laughs> <laughs> it's funny dude because i was thinking about it and i realized bob marley wasn't the first reggae artist i really liked um <laughs> this was like in seventh grade i was a really big M- matis yahoo fan <laughs> if you know matis yahoo and um, a little bit yeah he's kind of weird like i don't know about him anymore like i heard he's like a zionist or something but mm. i can't like confirm that for sure but uh <laughs> or i haven't looked into it but i remember i was a big fan of his and then when i first heard bob marley it was like immediately like oh this is like the real stuff i was like this is awesome yeah right, <laughs> um, yeah so yeah, I mean, we wanted to talk today too about just like you're mentioning his bigger goal. 
um, and kind of like bigger purpose. Um, can you get into that a little bit more? Because I mean, the next thing I had on, you know, kind of question to ask you was kind of about what was Bob Marley's like role in the Caribbean and kind of also in just in the African diaspora in general. It was interesting because, you know, I didn't really hear that much about his role in the Caribbean. Like, uh, you know, it's like more just about Jamaica and then mm. the like African diaspora in uh, America or in Africa. But in other like Caribbean countries, I'm not too like sure about that. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it'd be a project, I think, to trace his kind of his tours and to trace his conversations with people in the Caribbean. Uh, there's, he's actually really under-researched for such a popular figure. I think because he's uh, seen as a figure of pop culture, people don't take him, take like an academic interest really and kind of try to do like research on him per se. But um, just looking at his lyrics, you can tell that this dude has something going on, right? Like a uh, Buffalo Soldier, for example. Um, if you know where you're coming, if you know your history, then you know where you're coming from. You know, I was take, taken to the Americas, taken to the Caribbean. We have songs like Africa Unite, African Herbsmen, Black Man Redemption, Exodus, right? All these are pointing to uh, really like Pan-Africanism, you know, without being, it being named. Um, to see him as a Jamaican, I think, would uh, really kind of misunderstand how he saw himself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you say like, uh in the african diaspora what what do you mean by that like term for people who might not be familiar with something like right. that um african diaspora really is just any people of african descent outside of the continent of africa um although this could be anywhere uh japan siberia um you know you france siberia? yeah siberia it could you know it really counts as anywhere i think what people most associate it with is uh the west africans who were taken uh during the transatlantic slave trade so it's usually associated with um, the Caribbean, Brazil, United States, and Europe as well. Uh, but really, it, it defines pretty much anyone outside of the continent. You have the Jewish diaspora, right, as well. People outside of or um, outside of Israel who are all over the world, even in Indian diaspora, right? People uh, from the in, uh, Southeast Asia, from India, who live all over the world. Um, right, Africa. Right. This one's a little unique, I think, because it's a continent, right? There is no. There is no actual country uh, that they're claiming they'll come from, but it's this much broader identity, which is a kind of interesting aspect. Yeah. And like, I guess along with his uh, music, they kind of had these revolutionary or um, Pan-Africanist kind of messages. Do you, um, where would you think that kind of like stems from for, for Bob in, in, in particular, like, or for reggae music? Um, Cause you know, is it like, kind of coming from like Rastafarianism or how do you think he kind of like developed that just kind of mentality? Mm. Uh, do you want to get into Garvey? I think, yeah. I think we have yeah. to. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, there were his calls from early on, let's say 1800s, even, like uh, even that, yeah. 1700s mm -hmm. uh, for Ethiopianism uh, being the kind of return to Africa by people in the diaspora in the Caribbean. Um, Ethiopia was uh, a country now, but before it really was seen as Africa as entirety, old 1600 maps were at Ethiopia on the entire continent. Okay. Um, Ethiopia, yeah, it's because it was ancient, right? The Greeks wrote about it in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, it's in the Bible when talking about Solomon. It's this ancient African um, empire that obviously gets kind of associated with Africa just as Greeks get associated with the West. So these calls to um, Ethiopianism were made a long time ago, but 
during the 19th century, I think, or sorry, the 20th century, the 1900s, we have kind of the political definition of it where you have organizations saying like, okay, you know, we have boats running from Jamaica to Lagos, Nigeria and organizing these. Garvey? Yeah. Among other people. Um, So Garvey, although we see him as kind of the first back to Africa movement, he was really in a long tradition of that. Uh, Marcus Garvey, of course, was the Jamaican, um, I don't even know what to call him, Jamaican leader, Jamaican thinker. Uh, He was one of the first early Pan-Africanists, one of the most notable ones, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, Just to kind of put a a clear like statement to the movement, people had been moving back to West Africa for decades, if not centuries, but he kind of really organized it uh, with the United Negro Improvement Association and with these other kind of funded uh, programs. Um, And of course, being in Jamaica, his home base is going to produce a lot of uh, sentiment even after his death. Uh, So he died, I think, maybe a decade before uh, Bob Marley was born. Bob was uh, 1945, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, 45. And uh, yeah, Bob Marley was born in 45 in like a little kind of small town community outside of, you know, any major city. And then he was 12 when he moved to uh, Kingston. And that's really where he grew up, like in Trenchtown. Um, Yeah, just throwing that info in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. Um, because I was also like what they were talking about in this documentary that I was watching was that Rastafarianism took like kind of different like ideas or influences from Christianity, but kind mm-hmm. of saw that like all these like the naming of like European things in Christianity was really uh about like was really you know misnamed or misinterpreted, and it was actually Africa that um was kind of like the place of of christianity um and it had you know is like a lot more complicated or deep than that but um yeah they saw like uh emperor Haile Selassie as kind of this reincarnation of jesus christ um so they were looking to him as kind of uh like a messenger of jesus um and yeah ethiopia um as kind of like it was like a liberatory kind of religion like um you know uh trying to fight back against colonialism and and kind of western ideals and western thought um and yeah bob marley got into uh rastafarianism i think pretty you know early in his like musical career and so that kind of saw the trajectory of like his political uh like music and lyrics yeah uh, to pick up also like on what you said about him moving to kingston it's uh for me, it's helpful to think about like his, the two contexts of Rastafarianism being one where uh, very far from Jamaica being the kind of Christianity you're talking about, but this Christianity, of course, not being in the sort of uh, Vatican Rome that we think of, but more connected to Israel. And of mm-hmm. course they believe that uh, Solomon had a child with uh, Queen of Sheba, who they believe was Ethiopian, um, who, so they in a sense were descendants of Solomon is what they believed is that Africans were the descendants of David. They were the, kind of the next heirs um, after Jesus. Wait, 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 um, one second, sorry. Sure. Um, sorry, go on. Oh, yeah. So um, just as like that kind of uh, history that they have, the history of Christianity uh, is important to them. I Also, their context in Jamaica is so important, right? Rastafarian is is as Jamaican as let's say Mormonism is American, right? It really depends on 
uh, where they are, what year they are in, you know, when these things are happening, they're in a, a, a real good context that shapes the way that they they think that the way that they uh, bring their philosophies, the way they act on those philosophies. Um, and so one thing I think we can point out is uh, Bob Marley understanding his place in uh, Jamaica, right? Understanding where he is in that context. Um, if we think about him as Afro-Caribbean or like African-Americans, it might be more helpful to think of them as Africans in the Caribbean or Africans in America. And I think that's a pretty important distinction that he was making. Um, growing up in Kingston, right? Being aware that he was not um, in Africa, right? His Kingston upbringing is important because he associated with Babylon. He associated with this place that is not uh, Zion, not heaven, not his homeland. So what's, um, ba- what's Babylon and what's Zion in their like, yeah. point of view? They use it... Uh, I want to say not even, sometimes it's literal. It's it, Zion is Africa. Zion is uh, God's home, right? Heaven. It's uh, their homeland. And Babylon is the geographic Americas where they're taken into slavery. But it's also this more kind of metaphorical concept where it's a westernization, Western civilization uh, with its greed, with its uh, vanity, with its, you know, very clear effects of capitalism. Um, and I don't, I'm not throwing out capitalism as this kind of overall evil, but these are people who are the descendants of slaves, right? These are people who saw capitalism at its extreme. Um, oh, wait, are you there? All right, okay. Yeah, you just froze for a second. Yeah, I hear you now. Yeah, just to put it in like a little bit of context too, like okay. Bob Marley is growing up in 60s, 70s, you know, in Jamaica and like, uh, by the middle of the 1970s, this is like 80% of the island's wealth was owned by 2% of the population and 24% of adults were unemployed. And like, especially where he was growing up as a, as like a youth in uh, Trenchtown is like one of the poorer areas, right. Of yeah. the major city. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, their main things was like tourism and like mining, like extractive industries and stuff. And like, I mean, for any, like, I guess like economy that's like Jamaica, you know, like kind of trying to like create prosperity for its people, but it's like, it has to, you know, uh, adhere to like the global like economic system and stuff. Like um, it's going to be like, well, I don't know what the point I was making with that, but yeah, that's um, just like part of the context of like what you're talking about that kind of like informs the way that, that religion their people are going to see you know their lives and stuff and it's like it's kind of interesting because it's like people flock to religion kind of just because sometimes their you know lives are so difficult and they're you know struggling um but it's interesting to put it in that like kind of global context and like like understanding their place like of oh this like horrible history of slavery and everything um connects to like our religion yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah oh yeah go on um even his kind of like hometown and uh saint Anne's. Mm -hmm. um there's such a kind of connection to uh, being self-sustaining being farmers in rastafarianism that uh i think also is very clear in his upbringing not that he started rastafarianism but maybe these things made him more suspect like more uh him more open to kind of what was going on because he had roots, uh, you know, as a farmer, 
he kind of re- could really identify with this callback to um, almost simplicity, almost like, you know, hard work, um, living by the land. He could also see the the poverty on the other side of Babylon, right? He grew up in Trenchtown. Right. Yeah. St. Anne's was the town he, he grew up in right before he moved to. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I guess, you know, we can get into, I guess you, you mentioned a little bit about his like uh, global impact and like talking about like Africa, like that kind of informs like how he's going to start touring and, and the type of music he makes later, like an album, like, like survival. Right. Um, and then, you know, traveling like going to africa to play shows and things like that can you talk a little bit uh, about that yeah um and just we, his global impact in general right i think uh a lot of people see him not just as a pan-africanist mm-hmm. as somebody who uh wants to unite all people of african descent but also as a sort of like third world figure yeah. um especially during this time in the 60s 70s the cold war when these kind of distinctions between first second cold third world are really important. Um, for example, growing up in Hawaii, I can speak to myself like, you know, he's, he's a big figure, right? Um, even though there's not many Africans in Hawaii, he connects with this idea of um, resistance to, to empire. Um, and Aotearoa, he has this kind of famous photo with the Maori people there. Um, it is it's this idea that he is always on the side of the indigenous population of anywhere, right? Uh, even in Jamaica, where the non-indigenous, they're trying to return home, right? He has this idea that um, the best kind of thing is for people to control their land, is for people to, to um, know where they're from and be able to practice uh, the traditions that they've been practicing forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like, I mean, he was definitely a figure for people resisting empire, like uh it was talking about in um in zimbabwe when they were you know fighting against uh uh you know the white settler like population there for independence um the some of the freedom fighters they really you know saw his song zimbabwe as like their kind of uh rallying cry song you know and that's why he was invited later on to to zimbabwe for to play at the the independence um yeah i guess like shit i don't know what my question is here. Yeah. um let me see i'm gonna edit that part the, the, yeah, yeah that, that uh, must have been a big moment um zimbabwe because it's uh it's also not he's he's not a an appeal visually appealing figure to politicians right he's not like a clean cut at all in any sense right. of the word right so it's uh where i think Zimbabwe became independent in 1980, but in the 1960s, when we have like Ghana, Nigeria, um, Senegal becoming independent, it's it's led by men in suits, right? Very mm-hmm. clean cut men in suits, educated elite. Uh, when Zimbabwe, of course, is this like armed struggle, I think in a lot of ways, Bob represents this kind of second age of the second wave of African independence. Those that had to uh, get their independence through like military action, through like armed resistance, he, he really matches up with that. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. So what, what is some of like the music that you think uh, really exemplifies like part of Bob Marley's message? Like, did you see it like kind of change as the years went by, like from the 60s and 70s? Um, yeah. Like, how, how would you kind of look at his music? 
Yeah. I mean, because he's got love songs sprinkled in throughout right. the years there. For sure. But, um, and I don't know if he got more radical. I would say, like, he was pretty down from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, I know what he did is really try to target his message a bit more. For example, the song Could You Be Loved? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a funky song, right? It, it has that kind of uh, like a heavy beat that you might not find in reggae. Um, but that was, I think, specifically to target African-American audiences, Black American audiences. He was trying to appeal to like kind of the R&B sound that was coming out because uh, his whole goal was, there's always, oh, I got to get this message out, whatever the means. Um, so I think we don't see maybe the message changing, but we see his, his method changing a bit. Right, yeah. Like, uh, I think when he went to England too, they kind of... Um at least the record label there, they pushed like more of like a, a rock kind of sound. Mm. Like I think the, um, I forget his name, but this head of the uh, record label in like London kind of wanted to market them more as like a, like a rock kind of band, like mm. a black rock band. And so that's when they had songs kind of like um, Concrete Jungle, I think. Mm. And um, like Iron Light. I think that song was part of that, uh, that time. But yeah, I get what you're saying, like changing kind of the method to appeal to different people because Bob Marley definitely wanted to make like reggae music, you know, like popular around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Damn, I'm not good at asking questions. Shit. <laughs> okay, hold on. Let me think. Well, where are we at? Okay. Um, current impact legacy. Um, can we talk about that? Kind of his current impact. I guess not yet. Yeah. Um, we talked about like message in his song. What? Mm. Yeah, I can start with a quick anecdote. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, um, action. (laughs) You know, here in Bob Marley, when I was eighteen, you know, I heard this guy. I love this guy, and I thought. Like listen to his music Africa United, like, oh, this is, you know, this is a Pan-Africanist. This is a black mm-hmm. musician. Um, little did I know though, as you mentioned, working at Fresh Fast, I'm playing some Bob Marley, and I didn't realize that white people love him. Mm-hmm. Like they really they really adopted <laughs> him as as uh, their own. And he he was a uh, born from a white father who wasn't around often, but um he was so rooted in the like African tradition that I was surprised. Um and I think this is possibly because of his uh, exotic look is the way that I think people would describe it. I know that he was became popular because of this sort of um, rebellious image that definitely white Americans really liked um, because it wasn't what they were used to, right? For that simple reason. Um, there is something interesting about him singing 400 years, 400 years, you know, uh, of the same philosophy to audiences that, he didn't think he was going to reach because uh, Bob Marley always wanted, I think, to reach the black Americans, but he had a hard time of doing this, not because of his own, I think difference, but from what I've seen, I've read some newspapers, um, political tension in the U S was so kind of divided that the second white Americans started liking Bob Marley, black Americans try to distance themselves from, from him. Oh, really? Right. Wow. So with, regardless of his actions, uh, uh, they, they took on Peter Tosh instead. Oh, wow. um, just as a sort of counter, like, okay, if, you know, we don't like Bob Marley because he's, because of one love, because of this, because uh, he's too um, kind of, like, yeah, too peaceful. Yeah. Right? But I think this image is, is sort of passed on that it is not really what he intended in the first place at all. You're talking about right? passed on, like, up until now. Like, up until now, yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's interesting because it's definitely his image. I think when you just kind of like see Bob Marley's name in like the mainstream or whatever, and it was like even pushed back then, like kind of mm-hmm. uh, the stoner image and like yeah, mm-hmm. one love, like what you were saying. But um, uh, yeah, like if you look at Bob Marley's concerts, like his footage in America, like it's it's is mostly white audiences. But um, I think there was like a kind of a shift, like later on in in his career Mm. where he was able to attract like black american audiences and i think um this one particular show they really pushed for that like uh he they uh the whalers had to open for uh, um it was some band i forget the name of the band uh but it was like a black american like kind of soul group Mm. Um, i think it was at the apollo was it no i think it was madison square garden at least the one i'm talking about he might have played at the apollo too um but yeah do you uh what do you think um is kind of like the reason that that disconnect is still kind of there from like his really political messages to kind of just his image Mm. um honestly not gonna blame it on capitalism but (laughs) (laughs) you know there, there is a market to this there is a him selling they're trying to sell an image still Mm-hmm. um obviously the kind of biggest image that he's associated with is marijuana smoking uh yeah. shirt smoking materials oh, yeah. uh whatever and uh, he smoked like no doubt it was a big part of his life no doubt but just listening to his music the amount of times he mentioned smoking like is it's minuscule to the amount of times he's talking about returning to africa right, right. This, yeah yeah this like <laughs> this real political message is traded up for this um like rec- thing that people take recreationally, right? They're not even taking it for, I think the purpose that he was talking about, mm-hmm. which was, you know, a very kind of spiritual thing to him. Um, on top of that, the whole one love idea, I'm not really sure <laughs> why that blew up. It was, mm-hmm. um, it's an important aspect, I think of his approach, um, but it's not the his end goal, right? I think that's his approach, not his, his end goal. It's not saying I want to bring, uh, love to everyone is saying we can use love to um you know a- unite africa that's re- i think really his his mission so to say right um yeah because you know even like a song like um it's just like i shot the sheriff right it's such a like political song like you know right. he's talking about like police brutality and like sheriff john brown always hated me like type you know but even that song i feel like it's just kind of like people like vibe to it but they don't think about it in the same way. It's like, uh, like fuck the police, like type of song. Yeah, you right. know? yeah. Um, yeah. But but what's interesting is like I feel like what you said uh, with his music, like it was always political. Like even from the early music, like they were playing more like ska music, mm-hmm. like simmer down. That that song was like mm-hmm. way early in their career. But that song was about like. Um, was like a political message too. It was like telling people in like Kingston, like youth and stuff that they need to like calm down. Cause there's like violence and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, man, how do you think that would kind of like shift, like kind of changing his image or does it need to be like, is it important that people kind of start thinking about him differently or do the people that know already kind of know, and it's not a big, big thing. Yeah. Mm. I think it's, I think it's important. Me personally. Yeah. Um, as someone who I like, I think has a stake in what he's saying, like, you know, I appreciate 
his political message. So I'd, I'd like to see it spread. Um, but I think one of the difficulties too is that he is a Jamaican when the African diaspora is so diverse and Africa, the continent is so diverse where he can write a song about Zimbabwe and Zimbabweans might be on board, but um, these, this idea of uniting Africa is not so easily accepted by I think a lot of Africans themselves. Mm. Um, so it's a tough, it's a tough thing I think to, to spread where one love smoking is I think a more broad general message. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think it's like, that's the reason kind of like you only hear about Bob Marley in terms of like big reggae artists in the world. Like Peter Tosh is big and like a great artist and he has a lot of very popular songs. But when people think of reggae, I feel like a lot of people would be like kind of have difficulty even naming more than Bob Marley, like a popular reggae artist. And like, how do you think it, there was a difference. Was there a difference kind of between Bob Marley's message and Peter Tosh's message or other reggae artists? Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, they, you know, they grew up together. They, they played together. Um, I know that obviously like black Americans during the seventies were kind of saying that Peter Tosh was a little more radical, but mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, I think, you know, their message really was the same. These were kind of simple, just dis- like small distinctions. Um, but I think for a lot of people too worldwide, Bob Marley and the Wailers, the whole band was the first time they had heard reggae. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had heard really any type of music that was pop in a sense that had, you know, a clear beat, a clear like kind of groove to it, but that wasn't uh, American or English, right? Because you, you have traditional music, what people might call world music uh, from other areas, but this was the first, I think, to really be um, so easily put on the radio you know this was music that was like catchy to everyone but still mm-hmm. so distinct so jamaican so caribbean right do you think they didn't want to push kind of more of bob marley's um pan-africanist or political songs like back then oh definitely i, th- I think so i think you know when it's coming down to it they're trying to look at their audience mm-hmm. and their audience in america britain france would you know be very different than if they're playing it in Barbados, Trinidad. Right, right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of his current impact. Is it, do you find it interesting that, like, people, like, all around the world like his music? That's, like, like in Japan, for instance. Right. Like, what do you think about, what is, what is it about his music that would even appeal to, like, people who might not understand the lyrics? It's just kind of, mm-hmm. like... It sounds good and reggae music is kind of universal appeal or does Bob Marley kind of represent something even for like, I don't know, any people around the world? Yeah, I don't, I think it's part marketing, honestly, and part of um, just popularity, you know, the name gets out there. But for example, you have people like Alton Ellis, uh, Bunny Whaler, you know, great reggae musicians who don't get as popular, I think, because at least in the case of Alton Ellis, uh, Bob Marley's sound was so refined compared to, to Ellis, where they were funny for a popular audience all the time, right? Making one for the UK, making one for Americans, you know, having these right. different sounds. Um, as far as the message goes, um, it's, I don't think his, like his love songs are un- specifically unique, mm-hmm. but he, he definitely had, um, he, he was a poet, you know? I think he definitely had a way with words. Um, and I think just, 
getting out there for people who aren't into reggae, say in Japan, it's mm-hmm. easy to, by my eyes, an easy entryway into reggae. For sure. Because you've already heard the name. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. it's simple as that, right? Just word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. I guess going back to um, just like Jamaica, uh, how, how do you think, you know, Bob Marley played a role in Jamaica? Like whether it was uh, for the people or, um, you know, politics uh, in, in the country, because there was a lot of turmoil going on and Bob Marley seemed very like in the center of it all. You know, obviously like mm. his assassination attempt and like kind of, um, you know, how he was uh, just a big figure alongside like the different political figures in the country. Mm. All right. Um, part of it is just internationalizing Jamaica, mm. right? Just getting, I think the mentality of we're an island can really kind of box you in. And then once you see one of your own traveling the world, getting international attention, you realize, oh, you know, not only can we change our politics, but our politics are being affected and we can't affect, you know, global politics. Our politics are being affected by other countries, Britain specifically, I think is probably the biggest one. Uh, But also Mm -hmm. whatever we do here is really going to send shockwaves to the Caribbean, through the United States, through Europe. You know, this kind of idea that people uh, have more power than they think. Uh, him being from Trenchtown, of course, uh, you have this whole discourse of the the rebel use, you know, putting power into use, um, never having a sort of fixed um, ideology or fixed um, uh, kind of, uh, what do you call it, doctrine, dogmatism, always letting the youth kind of try to innovate things. Um, but I also think where we see him as, we see him as Jamaica, Jamaicans would see him as you know, one of, one of their many, many right. uh, great musicians, um, people like Chronix or uh, Coffee. If you've heard of Coffee? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. Yeah, like, she's you know, great. They're doing, that's, that's, these that's people I, have like the same type of heart, I think it's. Um, that's what I was curious about, um, like moving like forward, like after kind of, you know, Bob Marley's death and stuff, or even like around the time of his life and all the kind of other um popular reggae artists like has that kind of really influenced what we saw later like artists like uh buju banton or like Mm. i don't know even someone like yellow man or something like that have you heard of yellow man Mm. um yeah like that specific like very like political reggae like roots reggae and stuff um do you think it's like influenced the next kind of generations of uh or like, how do you think it's influenced kind of the next generations of Jamaican artists or reggae artists? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, putting it out there is just the first step. Like, oh, people can do this. Like people can be political on, on the radio. Um, but for Jamaicans, I do wonder if it's, I don't think it's just Bob Marley. I think they have such a, like, that's, if there's a Jamaican character, you can say there's a national character, that's it. You know, it's like being very aware of their place uh in the world being very aware of their like their politics being aware Mm -hmm. of you know not in a sort of uh the way we see in the states where you learn all these facts about certain individuals certain politicians this is much more of a sort of co-consciousness even a working like class consciousness right just being aware of um who you are what is your place in society what can you do interesting yeah i'm sure i mean do you think there's kind of like a a pushback or kind of like a game some artists would have to play like with the music industry in Jamaica, like, cause they might not want to push the most political 
type of songs or type of music, you know, um, even if some artists might want to uh, be saying those things. Um, I guess, how do you think, like, did Bob Marley kind of shatter that or all those like artists from the 70s kind of shatter that? Or is it still kind of something that artists have to play like a fine line with? Mm. I, you know, it goes in waves, unfortunately. I, unfortunately, I don't think there's a sort of, there's doors opened, but a lot of times those doors can shut as well, right? right. People can kind of double down. Uh, I think now specifically, <laughs> we're definitely at a, a loss, I think, of political music. Um, yeah, why, why I think, do you think I that mean, is? Um, maybe it's the, like, speed of consumption, mm. because we have, like, you put out songs for social media to be like 15 second tags right right uh, maybe that's why maybe it's the said, like you said tiktok is the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 um because i was talking about this with a friend it was just like i was feeling like in the 90s there was more of a like politically conscious music we were talking about hip-hop specifically though yeah. um sorry my watch is going off uh i don't know how to make that stop okay um but there's definitely a lot of political artists, you know, like mm. artists that are really kind of um, conscious or like overtly political in their music. Like, I mean, No Name is one of them. Mm, and even Killer like, Mike. yeah, Killer Mike, Kendrick, mm. he's like a big artist. I don't think his Kendrick's message, well, I don't know. I Kendrick's. Kendrick That's true. Music, and then yeah. what is political and what's not, right? Exactly. Just not for me to decide. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, you can make a distinction between what's political and what's not sometimes. Like, yeah, sometimes. even with someone like, um, like I, I think I, I was reading something that was talking about how Yellow Man mm. was kind of like, they really pushed him as like an artist that wasn't political. Like he was just mm. kind of dance and feel good music. Mm. And he kind of became the biggest artist at the time. And it was kind of like right after there was like, bob marley's and peter tosh's and things like that and i don't know too much about that history but yeah there can be a shift you know or there is mm. like shifts of like definitely politically charged times of music and not mm. like you're saying right yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's probably more i think to do with the circumstance mm -hmm. right uh 60s and 70s yeah yeah maybe some more political time I mean, now is like the like, it's a very yeah. I think we're gonna get some we're gonna get some <laughs> some fire in the you next think few it's years. Coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if uh, the reggae artists will kind of come to maybe some of the forefront of that because it's definitely like mm -hmm. hip hop. But do you think reggae has a place to be again, like today, one of the kind of music that a lot of people go to and they're like, yes, this is like kind of speaking for us. This is speaking for the people. Mm. You know, um, so one thing I think, though, is I think reggae is almost like folk music in the sense that it's it's timeless. Mm. And maybe that goes right. to like Bob Marley's like, you know, rural roots. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of the heart of it is so not flashy, so not simple, but so kind of down to earth. Yeah. Um, relatable, I think, to a lot of people. So, yeah, I think uh, people who capture that can definitely come to the forefront. Not even it has to be rural, but just kind of from what I found, like regardless, you really do get to the core things, you know, this almost like a universal experience a lot of times. It's very like, it's such a, a, a it's very like emotional music too. Mm -hmm. Like uh, in terms of just like an artist's voice sometimes. And mm -hmm. that might be the like, um, I don't know, coming from like a outsider's perspective of hearing like maybe the like Patois, like 
sung in a way because like mm. even a lot of hip-hop songs will have like um just jamaican patois like sometimes yeah. uh infused in their song and uh like i think kendrick did it for one song and uh joey badass did it on his like american badass album that was like super mm. political and that's not reggae music but it kind of has part of you know maybe like internationalizing a, right. a, a topic yeah mm-hmm. yeah and i think a uh, part of it is just being like honest mm-hmm. um in a sense or like bob marley i think the way he sings is not like a marvin not, not like a motown smooth singer mm-hmm. when he sings he sings like with such heart you know like he's almost like belting right and his, yeah. his voice is great but it's like it's um like so- sounds like somebody you would hear just like out in the middle of nowhere you know he doesn't need the mic or the band it's just got this like, like a street like a street preacher yeah or... oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah for sure yeah <laughs> that is true um what do you think of like a song like war like he's mm. just saying like everything oh, this... in that song and it's actually like a speech right i right, don't know if yeah. you've heard that yeah uh, what do you think of that song i'm just yeah. curious uh i mean genius really but like, yeah. um it's something that is super powerful but almost i now that you make me realize maybe not as powerful as some of the more catchy songs even though the message the words are so poignant mm-hmm. um there is something to be said about the kind of the groove like you're right there's there's yeah there's something there that if you can get people moving it gets them thinking <laughs> yeah it gets them to play the song more which probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> more people will be like oh what, what are they saying right here what what does that yeah. mean or like okay yeah. that's interesting yeah because you're not going to throw on war at like i don't know a party a kickback yeah. like type of situation yeah. but that song yeah with the super- girl you know you're trying to pull some moves <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you think about what he just said there <laughs> um that's his like i feel like one of his like most overtly kind of pan-africanist songs like because mm. he says angola mozambique right. and south africa in that song right. um man so you wanted to talk also about uh i don't know we were talking about rastafarianism but you were mm-hmm. talking about this book right called right. kingdom by monique Fedase. yeah um yeah so Let's she's talk about from that. somewhere in the caribbean i'm not too mm-hmm. sure where she's from she's teaching at uh washington university in st louis mm-hmm. um but has this really cool book uh that follows uh, Rastafari repatriates back to Tanzania. Um, one thing to say is Rastafari are not, they don't care about your, your academics. They don't care about your, you know, your schools, about your research. Um, so for her to be able to, you know, interview them, she had to really gain their trust. You know, um, I think they're also wary for good reason of academics coming, you know, interviewing them misconstruing their story or even mm. treating them as over exoticized, which most people do with reggae and Rastafari, right? Is I, I mean, the fact that you're still in uh, Rasta beanies with fake dreads, you know, <laughs> in party city, you know, <laughs> yeah. wow. like says something about I kind of the image. I haven't seen anyone wear that in real life, but that would be. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, her whole thing is well, part of her argument is um, the image of Rastafari that we have now is very different than how it's practiced. Mm. Uh, and that's important to say one that, Rastafarianism is not only in the 70s, it's current, it's still happening. And two, that what is happening is not, ref- does not, it's not reflected by uh, people in popular culture. Okay. So yeah. including Bob Marley, including uh, regular um, like that? or Yeah, I think, yes, yeah, I think even that, uh, not that you would say the music is a misinterpretation, but that uh, this is a 
I don't want to say religion, but a, a sort of practice, mm-hmm. you know, a, a spiritual practice that doesn't require music. Hmm. Interesting. Right. It wasn't born from the music. It was a practice in itself. And there are musicians who are also Rastafari. Right. Right. Yeah. So what was kind of like her um, explanation of like the religion in terms of its like the practices, like uh, the cultural practices that like they carry out uh, as part of their like religion, like, a big one is the trod. So this idea of travel, right? Travel back to Africa. Um, and the way she builds this up is in Tanzania specifically, uh, the time of Nirere, when, you know, he's a, a big uh, Pan-Africanist in Tanzania who yeah. um, saw these Rastafarians and kind of, I think, in my opinion, like changed his Pan-Africanism to fit them, to say, okay, let's let's welcome Black Jamaican um, repatriates, right? Let's Let's oh. have special kind of like system to make sure that these people can get here. Mm-hmm. right um so there's very real effects to this this spirituality it's not just a um once a week church thing it's more of a, a, a lifelong calling that involves uh travel and um that is not written down in in books or in a um a manuscript but that is held in each uh Rastafarian, right that's one thing she talks about is to center um, their travel mm-hmm. is to center them as the archive. Wow, that's very yeah. interesting. That makes me think of like uh, just like traveling like to Mecca or like mm-hmm. all these holy right. sites. It's very like common in different religions, right? Like right. Judaism and Islam and Christianity. Yeah. Um, to, yeah. I'll, I'll pull back to to this one article by I think it's Carmen White, um, who's talking about repatriates in Ghana. Uh, Rastafari repatriate in Ghana and one thing she talks about is how when they get there their their mission doesn't end uh, even though they're returning to Africa they're also still fighting Babylon they say that their Rastafarianism continues to be a practice even when they've returned to Africa specifically right. um, trying to get Ghanaians to um, appreciate where they are I, obviously it's a big trend for people in West Africa around different parts of Africa to travel outside of the continent to Europe to get an education to America to get an education or to get jobs. Um, but of course they're kind of trying to pressure them to say, um, don't, you know, don't go to Babylon. Hmm. And, don't, and also, okay. Yeah. And also being aware of the aspects of Babylon that are within Ghana itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it takes a more kind of metaphorical uh, definition of Zion being maybe not a physical location anymore. Um, or you know, it being connected to Ghana, but still be having to be constantly negotiated with uh, how you how you live. Right. So is that book just kind of talking about, um, well, you said Ghana, but Tanzania mostly or? Um, this uh, So that Ghana one is just an article by Carmen oh, White, a short okay, article. Okay, okay. And the book uh, by Monique uh, Badas is about just Tanzania, or yeah, Tanzania. But of course, it, it spans quite a bit because of... Um, migration right the nature of migration it spans like multiple areas yeah that's why i was curious like how are they um kind of accepted by the government like you said in was like very accepting and stuff Mm -hmm. but or like how are they also accepted by the people and like do you think it would make a a difference going to place like where they have like someone like in as the president and leader versus like Mm -hmm. i don't know going to like a different african country that is more uh more babylonian perhaps yeah right yeah um you know i don't know if she touches on that uh, mm-hmm. but 
it's I think anywhere mm. for you go like you're gonna find that while we might see Africans as African Africans on the continent see themselves as Yoruba or Zulu or mm, right. you know Kosa or you know they have identities that are rooted in centuries of language different cultures and customs and so what we're really seeing is uh an appeal to black identity when there is no nation called black right <laughs> when there is no place called black so uh when people move there it's, it's free game you know like when the rastafarians move there yeah, specifically yeah i, yeah, I yeah. think yeah by virtue of you being black doesn't mean do you yeah. have any cultural similarity? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, I think, to, and that's what I hope to do the research, not Rastafarians, but just repatriates in general. Right. How do these people then make their lives in the places that are completely foreign to them, but that they call home? Yeah. There's a, a interesting documentary I watched about um, uh, Peter O'Neill, I believe his name okay. is. Have you heard of him? He's a no. former uh, Black Panther. I think mm. he was. Uh, man some state like kentucky or something like that but uh the documentary is called um a panther in africa and he mm. went into exile during um you know like COINTELPRO black panther uh party and he uh went to exile i think first in algeria but then later made his way into tanzania but the documentary is like today or maybe i don't know it's like maybe 10 years old now but it's about him and his wife who live there now and their whole lives in tanzania but it's really interesting because it goes into just like how much of a struggle it was for him fitting in to like life Mm. in tanzania as an american um even with like kind of like with his mentality of like this is africa um but he's like he lives a great life in uh in tanzania now like they run like kind of like some type of school situation and then they even invited some like uh black american like teens to come and live with them for like like a whole month or two and it's a pretty cool documentary mm-hmm. um and um all right well damn we how long have we been talking for um i don't know when we started but i think we have to have yeah. at least like 40 minutes you think we're around 40 minutes okay yeah interesting. let me let me check the the time yeah, I don't know when we started. This thing should have a, like a time clock here. How, how do you think that went? A time clock. I I was struggling, dude. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, no, I thought, I thought it was good. <laughs> really? I okay. think, like, I think you, you, to... you did good. But uh, I feel like my questions weren't, uh, like, I don't think I had, like, a proper, like, stream, like, a narrative. Like, we didn't start know. somewhere and end up somewhere. We I was yeah. just, like, jumping around. I don't know how, how people do it. Um it's tough because yeah. like, I'm thinking of questions to ask and then I just start talking and I don't end with a question. And I'm like, damn, I should have tried. To That's okay. Though. It's, it's like a, a conversation. Yeah. But, you know, I think I'll get better as, at being a host. So mm. that, that, that would be good. Yeah. Um, I, hope it, I hope it turns out well. Well, like yeah. sound wise, just because I feel like it's. Yeah. Like if one of us is louder. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can do try to do some editing and stuff to get it good. Um, did you talk about? Did we talk about everything we wanted to talk about? I think so. Yeah. 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 It's 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 fun to talk about music. I feel like, and it's like a good kind of jumping off point to get into like mm-hmm. people's history or or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this went well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a uh, reggae in the background too. My headphones all the time. Oh really? What were you listening? Yeah, which to? I think. 
just Bob Marley. And like, oh, okay. I guess the it was on shuffle. So Peter Tosh came up, um, coffee was playing. That's what I was like, oh yeah, coffee. <laughs> you, you were the one who put me on to coffee actually, like a oh, long time ago. Because like. that's the year when Toast came out. Yeah, but it was way before Toast got popular. You were playing oh, it, yeah. I think. Nice. <laughs> and she has that song, Pressure. That's the one that like got me recently. Oh, really? Pressure. Yeah. I don't know if I've heard it's good, it, yeah. But um yeah you listen to a lot of like new reggae huh like or a new you know um uh, really dance hall. just just her and uh chronics who's like chronics is really good yeah um other than that yeah i don't know too much um i'm still trying to get to afro beats yeah, oh really no. yeah i listen to like the, the afro beat playlist on spotify and then when fella uh, comes on i just start listening to fella only. exactly yeah that's my problem is i just go back to <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so hey wait this is what i was gonna ask you uh do you have any like recommendations for like what i should do with this like podcast or like people i could talk to topics you think are good mm. how this went what i should what i could do in, in instead <laughs> you should do a, a manila music scene that's what i want to do yeah like i yeah. have people i want to talk to but you know like i don't know them as well as i know you so i was like this will mm. be like a good uh thing to start with it's like let me yeah. talk to aaron and right. like yeah um Get the butterflies out. yeah manila is like the scene here is interesting because it's like a small mm. scene in terms of like arts and culture or like i mean obviously it's like a huge scene in terms of arts and culture like if you like really look at it but in terms of like hip-hop specifically or kind of like like experimental kind of weird hip-hop and, mm. and stuff you know it's like a small scene not like la or whatever right. like big new york type cities so it's a cool thing to explore yeah what's um, toby doing oh yeah toby's is uh he's like talking to people about their kind of like just their path and like self-discovery type things mm. or like people who are like maybe starting something out like a company or type of thing that's what i i think i'm getting from his yeah i haven't mm. really listened to it though yeah. uh but uh, he kind of inspired me. I was like, oh, damn, Toby's doing a podcast. I've been yeah, talking- Toby's doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I've been talking about doing one for like a long ass time and I haven't. So let me just try it out. Yeah. Um, you could also do. Um... Here, I'm going to stop the recording. We can just uh-huh. keep talking or I'll just pause it. Yeah. I'm recording. All right, man. Well, you know, that was a really good conversation right there. Um, I think we, you know, touched on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh you know working out the kinks of this podcasting world podcasting situation i gotta you know remember how to ask questions but um yeah thanks for coming on i really appreciate yeah, it, was, it it was great you dropped uh, a lot of great fun. knowledge yeah yeah or uh yeah robert nesta marley yeah man shout shout out to bob marley shout out to all reggae music shout out to people making reggae music right now i wonder are there like bedroom reggae producers <laughs> i'm sure there are like soundcloud reggae like yeah, bedroom yeah. guys that's who yeah. i want to like talk to you sometime <laughs> yeah. the grind yeah all right well thanks man here's to the first of many here's to the first of many i would love to uh you know if you ever want to be a co-host come on again talk about anything just let me know Oh, great. Because I actually had so many plans yeah, to, to exactly. pop the question. Like, listen, Scott, man. Like, what, what? Like, you know, that, that was a good time. You know, if you ever need somebody, oh, I, got, dude. I got a few ideas, pull up the huge list. <laughs> yeah, show me. Yeah, yeah bump, bump me see. the list. All right. Cheers. <laughs>